welcome to another episode of Whiskey and talking about season five episode seven dear sigmund and season five episode eight mulcahy's war two great episodes you're gonna love it and hate it at the same time yeah um dear number seven dear sigmund 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 (laughs) sorry we'll get there eventually we'll get there um they begin in the swamp playing cards as they do many many times but this time they notice something's just not quite quite right with um sydney and he decides to write a letter he said i have to write a letter that i haven't that i've been meaning to write for a really long time and in this letter he starts to write um dear sigmund freud and in this letter he talks about this um 4077 and the people in it and that's basically what this is about sydney talking about the people, their gifts, their talents, and I'm sure we'll bring up almost everyone because everyone has quotable things that he has that he talked about. Um, but also, a second part of the plot is a pilot fell out of his plane and came riding in on, uh, what would that be called? A, uh-huh. a, the pilot came riding in on a... Oh, like, a, like an ox-drawn ox, cart. Yeah, ox-drawn cart. And he's like, oh, yeah, I love this war. I love my job. I work 30 minutes a day. I go home to my family. We're all here. And Hawkeye kind of says to him, have you ever encountered anyone that you dropped a bomb on? And he said no. So that was the second part of the plot, what happens Mm -hmm. to him. So those two things are what are going on here. And let's begin. Sure. Um, I love how this episode opened. They were in the swamp playing cards. Uh, Father Mulcahy's asleep in the background. And I didn't mark down who was playing, but I'm pretty I sure... I did. Sydney, Margaret, BJ, Hawkeye, Radar, and Klinger, and Father Mulcahy entered after Sydney left. Okay, so yeah. Father <laughs> Mulcahy was asleep in the background, and he's really a non-entity in the game. But I love uh, Hawkeye's dealing, and he deals... And he says, okay, anyone can open, but only if they're willing civilian boxer shorts. Klinger says, will you accept a civilian panty girdle? To which Hawkeye says, no. Margaret's um, objecting to this, saying how ridiculous it is. And Radar intones, no, no, ma'am, it's dealer's choice. He can do that. So Hawkeye repeats, can anyone open? And Margaret opens for like she 10. She says, I'll open. <laughs> it's just funny the way she said, I'll open. And, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I just love what happens next. Hawkeye pays, B, or no, BJ <laughs> pays Hawkeye a buck fifty. Says, I he... told you. <laughs> I love where that scene goes next. Um, They, you know, do some betting, some folding, whatever. Uh, Sydney's talking over top, but then Hawkeye says, okay, let's see your openers, Margaret. And she lays down like a pair of jacks and he goes, I wasn't talking about your cards. <laughs> just, I just, I just love that for some reason. Like, And that, I love the fact yeah. that Margaret, like Laura said, Margaret was playing. Margaret was playing, you which know? is a big deal because we've never seen her interact with the officer or with the men's officers or mm-hmm. the doctors. Yeah. And, you know, again, it goes back to what we said last week, uh, where she's really starting to form 
friendships with everybody else in the camp, she's not as stick in the mud Margaret anymore, right. which is really nice to see. Um, she's not Frank's better half. No, she's Margaret. She's Margaret. No, that's she's a, good a nice way to put person. It. She really is. I yeah. like her. She um buys a pair of earrings off of Klinger during the game <laughs> so he can stay in. Three dollars. I swear that they go for seven fifty at the Tokyo oh. PX. Two fifty. Oh, I'll take them for two fifty. <laughs> and then I think it's Sydney who makes the comment. Don't you think that hoops before breakfast are a little, a little trashy? Trashy, yeah. And I guess uh, Klinger says, "I would wear hula hoops in my ears if it would get me out." <laughs> I hope I win them back. I don't want my lobes to close up. And then Sydney kind of starts with Hawkeye and Klinger as he discusses. Well, Hawkeye just kind of runs around um, OR oh. as Groucho Marx, kind of. Yeah, part of Sydney's commentary throughout the episode he's talking about. Um, dis despite the insanity that these people go through every day, somehow they use the insanity to stay sane. And so we see Hawkeye in what's obviously like a flashback walk into post-op in you want to describe Groucho marks you know kind of but the full tux well yeah. not not the tux and tails but just a, a suit with you know that kind of attitude where uh, the Groucho marks kind of thing and he's going through and making comedy remarks like his chart was upside down for one patient and he said oh um, your feet seem to be coming along very nicely he's like, but doctor it's my head Oh, good. For a minute there, you had athlete scalp. <laughs> yeah, he turned the thing around and he said, oh, I thought you had athlete scalp. Yeah. So just, you know, to, trying to well, lighten up the OR. And what else was he wearing? Glasses, a safari hat. Oh, and flip flippers. Scuba fins. Scuba fins, yes. <laughs> so he's walking into OR in scuba fins. Mm -hmm. I love what he says to the other patient. Where did he get scuba fins? Who knows? It's okay. Hawkeye. Yeah, he probably won him at a poker game somewhere. Um, when he's checking out the other patient, is this your first time being pregnant? <sighs> nurse! Nurse! You called doctor? Or you I called me doctor? Why would I call you doctor? I'm the surgeon. You're a nurse. <laughs> Somebody's laid on his meds. So you see that um, that he's still serious, but he's making light of the situation to try and raise the spirits in post-op, which and is And also nice. being nice to the nurse. Like, yeah. not yelling, hey, he's laid on, you know, mm -hmm. he, he lightened up everything. It was cool. Yeah. I I also love where that goes with Sydney, where he's talking about a, there's a mad practical joker in camp, and it doesn't matter your rank or your position. No one is exempt. And then you see Potter with his eyes all black. Yeah. Put like, somebody put grease on Potter's um, binoculars. binoculars. So he gets raccoon eyes. <laughs> and Radar was laughing so hard. I couldn't yeah. help but laugh a lot. Yeah. It was so cute the way he laughed. Yeah. Uh, Frank sits down at the table in the mess tent. And uh, gets up. the leg was cut from under him so he sits down and yeah margaret being on the other side it basically ends uh acts like a teeter-totter boosts her up he falls down and flips his tray up into the air <laughs> um Klinger got hit in the head by a chopper well, oh so he says got hit in the head by a chopper yeah that wasn't a practical joke but no, it was but a nice part of trying to stay sane where like 
Um, this other corporal, I think, um, comes running up with Klinger. He got Private hit in the Habib. head by a chopper. Yeah, Private Habib. Yeah, and he shows Colonel Potter uh, Klinger's helmet. Why are there tire marks on it? <laughs> Potter remarks. And, and all Klinger would speak is Arabic. So yeah. the other guy was translating to Potter. <laughs> Potter did not fall for it. He's yeah. like, and then, but the pilot or the other guy seemed genuinely concerned. He's like, mm -hmm. Colonel Potter, he's passing out. Yeah, he's ha he's going into convulsions. He yeah. does that the same thing after uh, breakfast every yeah. day. So now, if you'll pardon me, Private Habib, I got an apple from Radar, and I'm deliriously happy cleaning my horse's toenails. <laughs> <laughs> it was it's just a great little scene, especially when it ends, and they have a translation going for Klinger. But when he apparently leaves Colonel Potter by saying, may a thousand flies nest in your armpits. <laughs> or something, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Klinger. And Klinger uh -huh. just stalks off. It's great. Um, yeah, the letter that Sidney is writing to Sigmund Freud. I love when he walks into the swamp and he has to pick up clothes in order to get back to his bunk. So he's staying in the swamp in that fourth bed. And uh, he comes around the heater around the, the I can't think stove. stove thank you I don't know why I couldn't think of that the <laughs> stove and he see and we see Hawkeye and BJ reading from a little black book and what does Sydney say why are you reading my letter that was a private letter that was a private letter yes <laughs> to Sigmund Freud Sydney don't you think that's a little crazy but first he said if it was a private letter, you oh. would put it under your pillow. <laughs> That's what the doctors say. If it was private. Why'd you leave it under, under your pillow? Where we can get it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, then they make the comment, uh, Sigmund Freud, isn't that a little crazy? Who else but him would understand? And then Frank Burns over her. Oh, and my he's like, goodness. Oh, Sydney, you know, you're crazy. Aha. I, and he says, Makes no men never mind. I have all my cookies, and then he puts his hat on and eggs fall and, all and, over. Well, one of the practical he, he jokes. He smushes a couple eggs on his head. Yeah. That was one of the practical jokes again, yeah. as we talked about. Yeah, because and right before that he says, "I got all my cookies in order." In my opinion, you've got to be able to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, fella. Mm -hmm. And Hawkeye replies, "Why don't you pull yourself up by your own jock strap?" <laughs> yeah, and then that. Um, one of the, I think the next thing we see is the ambulance, right? Yes. Oh, so, oh. The, the, the one thing about this episode... It seemed like it should have taken longer. Well, it was it a very... felt like an hour episode. It, it was a dense episode, definitely. Yeah. But so much you know, to, to me, it kept bouncing between extreme comedy... And extreme sadness. Yeah, because what happens next is they're putting guys in an ambulance, and it takes off... And you hear it squeal, and then there's a crash, and then we see the ambulance over on its side, and uh, you know everybody's running because they just loaded it up. So there's people sitting around, well, standing around. It's apparently spring, but like a Wisconsin spring, very cold. <laughs> Which means that yes, it's very cold, even though it should be warm. Um, but they run up to the to the ambulance and open the doors, and they're getting people out. Oh, Hawkeye and BJ come up. They're helping. Hawkeye says, go check the front in the cab. And uh, Rainer goes up and checks. Colonel Potter comes in and he's, you know, 
Angry. taking charge and yeah. ordering people around. And he looks at Radar. Was O'Donnell driving? I'm going to talk to him. He only, he doesn't get points for getting there fast. He gets points for getting there in one piece. You tell him to shake his buns. I want to see him. And Radar just says, he's dead, sir. Oh, that was, it was powerful. So just, yeah. Just and then just a, a second of silence where, yeah. you know, collecting yourself. Mm -hmm. We go into pre-op where these guys who were going to the evac hospital are now getting restitched up, basically, or ready for surgery. And one of them, who <laughs> we've seen before. I've seen him before. Yeah, yeah. He, he was the soldier who BJ was sending back up to the front. He was talking about how he had uh, the only Polaroid camera in the sector how um he would buy a fifth of alcohol back in Seoul and then sell it for a profit up at the line so that's i can't remember the episode but that was the guy uh it might have been post off but here there. he talks to father mulcahy is that what you're talking about how to get back when i go back oh yes yeah. yes that is okay. the guy because yeah. yeah he's like i'm not, I'm not gonna ride on a truck to get back I'm not going to ride an airplane or a helicopter to get back. And, and because Sydney's saying, without any training, Father Mulcahy has become a natural therapist. Because then what does he say to the guy? He says, fine. You know, you'll see your wife in about three to six months. Because if you, the only other way back is a boat. Yeah. So by the time you get on a boat and ride back, you'll see her in about three to six months. We'll He's send like, you back on a nice, safe boat ship. Yes. <laughs> And he's like, oh, put me back on the truck. Yeah. <laughs> There's a chopper coming in a half hour. I'll take What's it. keeping him? Hurry up. <laughs> Hurry up. <laughs> um, let's hear what else. And Margaret. When, Margaret, When yeah. it's her turn, she's like. She's, she's they're in the swamp. Calm. Yeah, because uh, Sydney says she's seven kinds of passion searching for an outlet. So she's sitting in the swamp. And she's talking to him about how you just let yourself. You, you can't let yourself get it in. I'm always in control. I have my mind at all times. I'm always, always, always in control. And, and then all of a sudden she sees something on a cot. You would let me talk to you here with that? It's disgusting. How dare you have that thing out? It's disgusting. The now, jock strap? Major, you're a supporter. nurse. <laughs> the athletic supporter? Major, you're a nurse. I can't believe this is disgusting, disgusting. <laughs> cover it, cover it, cover it. Well, you put your hat on it. So he finally puts his hat on it. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry to have, see you lose your composure. I haven't lost my composure. Yeah. I'm perfectly calm. I'm yeah. perfectly fine. Oh, my goodness. It just. <laughs> she freaked out over an athletic supporter, but then doesn't see that in herself that she freaked out. Yeah. She only saw the calm. Yeah. She just flipped it back. It's like, I'm good. Okay. And you could take a lesson from, from me, me. Major. Because look how calm I am. <laughs> um, the the pilot. Oh. So we see the pilot come in on this ox cart. Hawkeye's coming out of Rosie's bar because Hawkeye. And you can't run up too much of a tab at the O Club or Rosie's bar. So you've got to switch between the two, I think. Um, but the after the ambulance overturns, Hawkeye has the guy help him bring up bring one of the guys into OR. Um, Didn't chop. No. Well, and so I'll just say that this episode, if you're familiar with Quentin Tarantino films, 
how he jumps back and forth in time. That's what this episode feels like a lot. Because it was written by Alan Alda. So. And directed by Alan Alda. Oh, okay. Um, which I love, but I don't know if this is one of his first ones, but it, it jumps a lot. You, yeah. You know, you, we're in the present, we're doing flashbacks. We're in the present, we're doing flashbacks. We're in the present, present we're doing flashbacks. So if, if you lose track of where you are, all of a sudden things stop making sense for a little bit. And this could be one of those points because... We see that pilot helping Hawkeye bring a patient into OR, but then we don't see them in OR with the patient for a little while later when um, they're there and they see Colonel Potter operating on a patient. A little girl. Yeah, and the pilot looks over. He said, what is it, one of theirs or one of ours? Well, yeah, because uh, Colonel Potter makes a comment, it's an eight-year-old girl. I have a granddaughter back home about her age. What happened to her? was hit by artillery uh, by a shell a shell yeah who did it them doesn't, or us doesn't matter to her well it matters to me the pilot says it matters a lot and uh well no i'm sorry then you know potter says it doesn't matter to her and the pilot just walks out and then hawkeye comes out to talk to him and you did this to me on purpose didn't you yeah and uh you know hawkeye was just trying to show him there's compassion there's there's real people out there you're yeah. not just going out for your 30 minutes dropping your load and coming back mm -hmm. you're dropping your load on two people mm -hmm. real people mm -hmm. and, but uh, i don't know if he's going to go be able to go back to his what he does now i mean you could see it in his eyes that he mm -hmm. felt something he has mm -hmm. you know a family at home mm -hmm. at the very least he's going to do it a little more aware of the situation and that's the last we see of the pilot, but it it's the sort of story that Alan Alda tells a lot, right. I think, is is this humanizing side of war, which is what a lot of people have issues with, with the Alan Alda episodes, because it's this very dove um We need to start humanizing things, though, because in our society today... Mm. We we hear so much of it that we get desensitized to everything. Well, and you know, in war, I understand you have um, to have some. You you have to dehumanize the enemy, or else you can't kill them. I mean, that's what happened with World War One with the Christmas truce. Is all of a sudden the troops on both sides found out that there were humans over there. You know, but yeah, you know, that's all Hawkeye was trying to do was show this captain. That there's real people. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, the pilot says to Hawkeye, you're a real SOB, you know that? And Hawkeye makes a comment, 20,000 feet, which is where this pilot said his plane was flying, so it hard. is a long way to come down. And it would be. Um, the Another great scene along those lines, which again, the these two are the, the rebound in this episode from the very hilarious to the very serious. That's right. one. And then... We see another one where uh, Radar comes in, it's late at night, and he's having Colonel Potter sign all of these forms. Oh, yeah. And uh, he has a box, and it's the ambulance driver's personal effects that are going off to Graves' registration. And he... Uh, he wrote a letter. Colonel, yeah, Colonel Potter said, Do you, did you write a letter, Radar? I always have such a problem uh, with what to say in these. And I, I can try and paraphrase it. It was something to the effect of, Mr. and Mrs. O'Donnell, 
It is my sad duty to inform you that your son Jerry uh, died in the line of duty. He was he never took a life and died while transporting five other men to the evac short for evacuation hospital. Uh, and I like the way he used his name. Mm -hmm. And my my and he talked about his connection with radar. Yeah. You know, Radar mentioned himself in the letter where it was, uh, my company clerk, Corporal Walter O'Reilly, often spoke fondly of Jerry. He will be missed. Because Radar was saying, I, I don't know if it's right, if you want to change anything, you know. He said it's Go perfect. ahead, yeah, don't change a thing, Radar. And he, he signed it. it and passed mm -hmm. it on. And it, that scene was framed just perfectly because um, it was dark, only really Colonel Potter, his desk, and Radar were lit. So it, it looked like it was evening, and it had a very solemn feel because of how it was done. Right. Um, very well done. Yeah. So, it, again, it's a, it's but a weird... But then to lighten the mood again, yeah. we had the darkness, darkness, yeah. and then all of a sudden it goes to Frank, who he's talking about his wife, yeah. and this, his, his words, I believe in the sanctity of marriage, no matter how disgusting it is. <laughs> he's talking about his wife and how she's changing. She's telling yeah. He's telling Sydney how his wife is changing. Yeah. She's going out and she's doing all this stuff. And she wore pants. Can yeah. you believe it? Pants. So 1950s, after World War II, after this point where women were getting out of the home, into the workforce, becoming more independent, which I think is reflected in what Frank was talking about, and, when yeah. I come back, my wife better be exactly the same as when I left her. Yeah, but yeah, and then he he's telling this to Sydney as he's digging a foxhole, which will come back. Yeah, because um, yeah, he's not going to be caught without a foxhole. Yeah, but you know he's and then he uh, finally says, "I should have known better than to tell anything personal to a psychiatrist." <laughs> Hi, Candy. In case you're listening. <laughs> Hi, Ben. Yeah, but um, it, it was a very interesting exchange, and that's why I said there was so much that went on. I just yeah. ran out of places to write all the stuff that was happening. And you know, like I didn't really think of this until just now, but in a way, I it was really interesting to see that scene between Frank and Sydney because it was probably very reflective of what the American male was going through. Oh yeah. In post World War Two America, because of that culture shift. What the right. You know, they I, don't know what's... They can only imagine what's happening at home. And they're mm -hmm. hearing that their wives are going out. Mm -hmm. And they're working here and doing this. She went to Indianapolis. On a girls weekend. Just because. It cost $55. <laughs> and you know what she sent me in her last letter? A what picture and pants. Where she was walking. Away from the camera. <laughs> yeah. Um... So it's very interesting, but then I'm sure I'm missing a scene in here. But then we see Sidney writing in his book the letter to Sigmund Freud, and you hear water running. Yes, I love this. So he puts down the letter, and he walks out of the tent, and what does he see? BJ filling Frank's hole with water because they figured out who the practical <laughs> joker was. You? You're the practical joker? <laughs> Certainly looks that way, doesn't it? <laughs> Want help? Sure. What do I do? Yell as loud as you can. Air raid! <laughs> <laughs> so Sydney yells, and you see Frank just 
shock awake, his eyes are wide open, runs out of the tent. And then he turns, does a 90 degree left hand turn, trips over the sandbags, and goes headfirst into the water filled foxhole. (laughs) Now, keep in mind, at one point we saw a scene where Radar was introducing Spring with this cherry blossom tree that Margaret had. Same way I did, yep back from Tokyo when uh, she got engaged and it, he's like that we were cultivating in a hothouse kind of and so without further ado and he whips this canvas cover off of the cherry tree spring has begun and they all ran okay <laughs> that's it let's go let's go it's cold out here so it's cold so that Frank head dives into to the water into this very cold and water. he's in his long underwear so he has to be freezing <laughs> yeah. But then um, Sydney says, do you want to... No, you go for it. Sydney said, spring at MASH. Mm. If you can't find it, you just make it. Yeah, because he, he's leaving. And, <laughs> and he's uh, referring to the spring that they had that you had just mentioned. But then also the spring that's going on... On inside him. Because the guys, when they find his letter that he's writing to Sigmund Freud, they say, are you okay? We kind of noticed that you came for the poker game and then stayed for two weeks. <laughs> So, but Sydney did this kind of long speech when he went into the thing, and and I love what he said. He said, "You've got life here. Mm-hmm. This mash has life. Mm-hmm. It gives me life, mm-hmm. and you are special." Yeah. So um, he came here for the life that yeah. Mash four hundred seven seven gives. And they reinforced that in the post commercial scene, which was great. It was just Colonel Potter operating, and the the over audio from Sydney is. They look every day into the face of death. On the surface, they may seem like other doctors, but underneath, and they pull back, and you see Colonel Potter is basically standing in like an Epsom salt oh, yeah, bath that for his feet. feet. Ah, Sigmund, underneath. And this is the sort of reason, uh, this episode, where we really see Sigmund being cemented in a certain part of MASH lore. And that's why I am so grateful that he appears in the last episode oh. of the series. You know, that they he bring him back. He's part of this cast. Yeah. You know, he may not be on all the time. He is certainly a reoccurring character, not a, a normal cast member, but he's important. He's yeah. very important to the series. And I love episodes where he appears in it, especially ones like this, where he's a major actor in them. And he has a couple of those. Yes, yes. I I absolutely love this one. Mm -hmm. It's very intense. Mm -hmm. You laugh, you cry, you smile. It's very intense. Yeah, so many. Um, So many things going on in this episode. Worth the watch. But yeah, just know that you're going to bounce between, oh no, and oh my goodness, that's so (sighs) funny. So So who who are the characters? Okay, yeah. Uh, Guest recurring cast, Alan Arbus as Major Sidney Friedman. Charles Frank as Captain Hathaway, Bart Braveman, Braverman as Private Habib, Sal Biscuccio as Patient John, J. Andrew Kenny as another patient, uh, Jennifer Davis Westmore as the nurse. And as we said, this episode was written and directed by Alan Alda. The production code was U810. And it originally aired November 9th, 1976. Great episode. Yeah. 
And what's next? Uh, what's next? First of all, as tends to happen in my opinion, we get a very dense episode followed by one that's leaner, more right. spread out, which this one is. It's it's nowhere near as dense. The two main plot lines we see are one where uh, this guy does a self-inflicted wound and Father Mulcahy's trying to talk to him and this kid says, you really have no right to talk to me. You don't know what the front is like. So Father Mulcahy tries to get some experience at the front. Uh, the other one is really around these foot wounds and self-inflicted wounds. This one kid shoots himself in the foot. Uh, another corporal intentionally steps on a mine, but he saves the life of his buddy. And we'll talk about that, but that's basically how it goes. Those are the two plot lines, yes. Yeah. So, um, starting out with uh, an OR scene, uh, Major Burns is operating on somebody with uh, Major Houlihan, and they're having a little... And Major Houlihan tries. She's like, Frank, there's no reason we can't be friends. Yeah, and he says something about a, a fink Indian giver, and uh, so it, it's very it. snide. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, scissors, and she slaps him in his hand. And after, uh, after he is done with surgery, he goes to Kelly and asks for the band-aids because Major Houlihan pinched him with the scissors. Why do you need a band-aid, Frank? You're doing a chest wound. <laughs> or you're doing an abdominal wound oh, the down. size of the Grand Canyon, Frank. <laughs> she stabbed me. Yeah. Um, but then he noticed the foot that they were working on because BJ's working on this kid's foot. And, and they all know it's self-inflicted. And yeah. Frank, being the footman that he is, he knows. It, it was great. Uh, BJ and Hawkeye on the spot come up with this thing. No, no, Frank. You see what happened. This is Danny Fitzsimmons, prize, uh, like prize place kicker of Fordham. And what happened was that an enemy soldier came up and was trying to shoot him. And Danny, as a kicker, instinctively tried to kick the bullet away. Mm -hmm. so that he believed it apparently yeah frank got thrown by that because frank yeah um but then we see a chopper coming in and we go up to the pad and there's this uh and they did say there's two on the chopper yep so there's a sergeant that hawkeye is checking on and he just keeps saying checking my buddy he's he hurt saved worse my than life me. yeah so then hawkeye goes to the other side of the chopper and here's bj petting a dog who's on the other stretcher <laughs> um it was you know it was a dog it, it was corporal what was the dog's cupcake. name corporal <laughs> cupcake a german shepherd corporal <laughs> cupcake <laughs> Which I just this big snarly yeah i wonder if they sedated him though because oh, like sure. he wasn't barking at them or like normally you would think he would want to protect his owner I, they must mm, have sedated I'm, him i'm sure he had at least some morphine or something yeah. but so yeah they bring the two into or corporal cupcake <laughs> sergeant oh I didn't look at his name yeah no, no, i was too I, visioned on sergeant, corporal cupcake sergeant hodkey i believe <laughs> um so sergeant hodkey and corporal cupcake and uh frank comes back in after checking with a few people uh, he comes back into OR and says to Hawkeye, he couldn't have been a kicker. He's only 18. Oh, he went there on some sort of scholarship. The I, the 
the kid who shot himself in the foot. He went. But I have a foot wound for him, for you to take care of. Yeah. And he, this is definitely self-inflicted. Oh well, you know, we have to patch him up. Frank says. Oh God. And then we'll throw the book at him and lynch him. <laughs> Court martial so, him. And so then they go over, and Frank looks. It's a dog. <laughs> Very good, Frank. <laughs> I'm and, not operating on any dog. And the, the sergeant, the dog's handler, has something to say about that. And he's like, he's a corporal in the United States Army. He deserves to be operated on. <laughs> and finally, Hawkeye basically says, Frank, you're going to do it. And Frank goes, well, I guess I should scrub up. <laughs> well, he realized he was declarated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, the dog stepped on a mine to save his buddy's life. It's, it's very noble. But that's, you know, dogs would be able to scent a lot of things that humans just wouldn't be aware of right, and that was right. one of them that was one of them yeah um but again father mulcahy trying to talk to um danny danny fitzsimmons danny fitzsimmons mm -hmm. and he said you know oh he was explaining his situation and it was just so sad he mm -hmm. said you know what happened one time i had to go to the bathroom so i got up and went to the bathroom when i came back all my buddies were dead yeah and that's something that we heard multiple times in MASH. There was right. one where this kid wouldn't... I heard it from wouldn't, my father. Mm, there was this one where this kid wouldn't eat. Right. Because oh. he got up to go for seconds because it was Thanksgiving. He came back and a shell had fallen into the foxhole that he and his buddies were and sharing. And they all got killed. And they all had these surprised expressions on their faces. And so he wouldn't eat. He said, I'm a pig, I'm a pig. Yeah. I can't I can't eat any ever again because yeah. I was a pig, so I lived. Yeah, he had survivor's guilt. Yeah. You know, that's what happened. And same sort same of thing. Same sort with, of thing with Danny. He he mm -hmm. said, I'm gonna do it again. I have no remorse. I'll do mm -hmm. it again. Mm-hmm. Which I think as a priest must be hard because during confession that's you know what, you need to show remorse for something to right. be to absolved be of it. Right. And he had no remorse. And Danny must have been Catholic because he knew about uh, this teacher, Father Mulcahy, he had in the seminary, Boom Boom Father Boom Boom Gallagher. Boom Boom Gallagher. Who had served. Everyone knew about Boom Boom Gallagher, yeah, apparently. Yeah, Potter knew about Boom Boom, boom Gallagher, Gallagher, but for a different reason. But uh, Boom Boom, uh, Danny told Father Mulcahy, the reason that he got the name Boom Boom was because he, would, he was up at the front with the guys. Which, by the way, Band of Brothers, uh, when they are in Baston, I believe, I the Battle of the Bulge. I have it on Blu-ray. I can loan it to you. Um, there was a priest there that's uh, doing mass for the guys, and one of them, after it's done, you know, gets up and says, "There we go, fellas. Now, if we die, we die in a state of grace." But. So there were priests up on the line, and right. Boom Boom would have been one of them, and the joke was that Boom Boom was so close to the front that when he got done praying, the, en the enemy would yeah. say amen, amen with, with <laughs> artillery. Um, but, you know, knowing this, knowing that they both had this connection, uh, Danny's, when Danny realized that Father Mulcahy had never been to the front, he's like, we don't have anything to talk about. You don't know what it's like. You... Can't, you can't even imagine. You yeah. can't imagine. And that really affected Father Mulcahy deeply. So he went to go talk to Colonel Potter, and he was begging him, let me go to the front. Let me, let me, you know, do my job there. 
to the kids who really need. And Colonel Potter made a valid point that mm -hmm. said, you know what? If you don't have a gun in your hand, you're just one more body to worry about. Mm -hmm. So they don't need you on the front. Yeah. Um, which I think in the movie We Were Soldiers, we kind of see that when this one reporter is going out with, with this company and the command post at the very center of this perimeter starts being overrun, uh, the sergeant in charge of the company just drops an M16 into the guy's lap. Because if you're not defending yourself, you're useless. So right. he ended up doing it. I don't know how historically accurate that is. But it goes to the point of... If you don't have a gun, you're... You know, they don't want you up you? there, Father. You're better off back here. Well, then there's a guy at the aid station... Who, who needs to be picked up. Mm-hmm. And uh, Radar goes out with Igor to get him. Except... Except Father Mulcahy's around and hears this and goes, Igor, I'll go in your place. And, uh, so then... Yeah. They go pick up the guy. Yeah, they, they go it, pick it, up the and guy. And there was so much shelling around. Father said, mm -hmm. how do you ever get used to this? And the guy said, you don't. Mm -hmm. And then Radar, of course, had to ask, have you ever had a dog up here? Because he's <laughs> thinking of the dog back yeah. getting surgery. And they said, no, we had a goat once. He's like, oh. Ter yeah, he had terrible shrapnel wounds. What did, what, you what did you do with him? What happened to him? We ate him. <laughs> <laughs> the look on Radar's face was priceless. Uh -huh. Like, oh, I would have taken him and raised him. Yeah. <laughs> but so, then on the way back, there's so much shelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, you know, we see this, and while okay, he does say at one point, you really don't get used to it, do you? No. And then what happens? And the, the guy stops breathing. Mm -hmm. And his tongue is all swollen and they don't know what to do. So father says, Radar, Radar, call the camp. See, what should we do? We're going to lose him. Mm -hmm. And they talk, him in, uh, they talk to him about how to do a tracheotomy. And father successfully they... yeah. cr does the tracheotomy. I think mm -hmm. Radar is about to lose it. Oh, yeah. Because he cut a two-inch incision into his neck and then had to really dig in mm -hmm. because apparently that tube is really hard to cut stuffed the, his eyedropper in there and successfully create did a tracheotomy mm -hmm. yeah radar is definitely out of it and we know that he has a problem with blood so it's right. in character it's really funny though because you know well two things first of all before father okay he will put the tube in he's like i have to say a prayer and like, bj hawkeye and yeah potter are on the radio talking him through this <laughs> make it a damn short one and then he can't think of a prayer so he does bless us the lord and he's, he's i guess what you're about to receive from the body of christ our lord amen <gasps> that's okay. grace and then a shell goes off and back them sticks the tube in radar is all um jelly legs after yeah. this i'll drive father he said. <laughs> yep and so they headed back headed back and um after celebrating a little bit in the officers club Right, uh, where everybody's commending Father Mulcahy for doing well under pressure, he goes back to post op and says to Danny, "You know how are things going?" Danny comments that it's all over camp about what Father Mulcahy did, and uh, Father Mulcahy says, "I think this might even give me the right to talk to you." What do you think, Danny? And Danny says, "Let's talk." Yeah, so that's interesting. Uh, another interesting thing about this episode that I 
saw here in the MASH wiki, and it makes a lot of sense. Because during that scene at the aid station, the sergeant's voice didn't seem right. It sounded fine, but when you put it on top of the audio, it didn't seem quite right. And in the comment here, some internet resources have observed that Richard Forngy, who plays the mustachioed sergeant, senior aidman at the aid station, is for some reason entirely dubbed by Johnny Hamer, who played Sergeant Zale. Really? Wonder why? I don't know, but that makes complete sense. Because like I say, they it, it's well done overall, but you can tell it's like, that's not... Maybe him. he was un, undetectable. Like some yeah. people, when they talk, they mummer, mutter or something. Yeah, it could be that like the mic wasn't picking him up or anything, right. but it was just... That answer is a question in my mind, because every time I've seen this episode, I've always gone, there's something there. Right. <laughs> there's okay, just, I didn't notice. Yeah, there's just something there. Maybe he had a voice like this, yeah. and it just wasn't fitting with the scene. You never know. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Maybe he was huffing helium before he spoke, and it just wasn't working out. You don't know. Mickey, Mickey Mouse. But whatever happened, <laughs> um, there was that. Anything else about this episode? No, we no? pretty much covered okay. everything I have, except for the ending. When they said, when they said, I can imagine how you felt, Father. Mm. And he said, no, you can't. Because that is kind of what that boy, Danny, said to Father. You can't imagine mm. what it's like. No matter what you, no matter how hard you try, you can't mm. imagine. And at the end, someone said to Father, I can imagine how you felt. And he looked at him and said, no, it, you can't. It was Hawkeye, Hawkeye who said yeah. that to Father McKay. Yeah, because Father McKay's basic message was, you can't imagine it. You know, I, I think in my mind, what I got out of that was every situation is it's unique. Different. Right. And so without being there, you can't know. Because Laura had said Hawkeye's already been there. But again, his situation would have been different than what Father Mulcahy's situation was. So every mm -hmm. situation is different. Yeah. So you can't imagine someone no. else's situation. No, I agree. But yeah. you need to live it a little bit. Yeah. We can't all live everyone's no. lives. But. but that's what Father Mulcahy did. Right. And it... It adds some nice depth to his character. It's a very Mulcahy-centric episode, which is nice to see. Cause I Because, again, he's, he's... a permanent character. Yeah. So, you know, they're investing in his character, which is great. And this isn't the only time my favorite Mulcahy episode is not this one. But I'm sure that, technically, this would feed into it. It's the one where he gets promoted. Oh, and doesn't get promoted at first, and the sister he, does. Yeah. Sister, sister. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, um, because you think about it, he did something extraordinary for him. You know, it wouldn't be extraordinary for, like, a Hawkeye. But right. he did something extraordinary in the field, and that would have gone into his record, and it would have been considered when he was up for promotion. So, this feeds into that one. We'll get to that one eventually, but that's when Winchester is around. Mm -hmm. So, it's a couple more seasons yet, at least. Um... Guest cast, Brian Byers as Private Fitzsimmons, Rick Mancini as Sergeant Hodkey, Richard Forngy as the sergeant at the aid station, which again, pardon me, uh, audio was dubbed over by Johnny Hamer, but that wasn't credited. Uh, there's the unnamed German Shepherd as Corporal Cupcake, because, <laughs> you know. Um, I'd also add, I don't think that uh, Jeffrey Maxwell was credited, but Igor did have lines, so okay. he should have been. I don't know if there's a cutoff. You know, you need to say... So many words. Yeah. And then we saw Kelly Nakahara uh, in the background of Post-Op. 
So again, we see Nurse Kelly, which again, I love seeing Nurse Kelly because for some reason I think Nurse Kelly is awesome. I do too. <laughs> She's my favorite nurse. One of my favorite episodes is when she dances with Hawkeye. And yes. They go through their whole issue, but yeah. we'll, we'll get to that also. That's a great <laughs> Kelly episode. Yeah. So, uh, the production code was U812. The writer was Richard Cog Coggin. The director was George Tyne. And the original air date was November 16th, 1976. Cool. Uh, Great episodes. Yeah. Uh, deep, both of them, I think, had depth. Yeah. Oh, they definitely had depth. The first one was definitely a lot more dense mm -hmm. in terms of plot than the second one. But, again... These seem to be pairing really well for us as we go so along, true. where we have this dense one, but then right after it, we have one that's pretty uh, spread out, and it gives us the time to kind of uh, decompress, right? You know, mentally, uh, emotionally, where we just can right. breathe, because. <laughs> Oh my goodness, if we had like five episodes, like Sigmund's, uh, Sigmund, dear Sigmund, oh, I don't know what I would do. I, I just couldn't do that. I would need a lot more drinks. And then, <laughs> and then this would be no good. You would not get a quality episode. <laughs> but let us know what you think. What was your favorite episode? What was your favorite part? Have we made any incorrect statements or a statement that you enjoyed and would like to go on farther with us did, email us and did you know. yeah did you catch something that we didn't uh, I'm gonna try and make an effort to start posting pictures of us like doing the podcast that sort of thing out there on Facebook uh, hopefully we get like a an Instagram maybe a Twitter set up too we'll find out but for the time being like Gloria said let us know. You can do that by heading over to narclaninc.com. Go to the podcast sections. Go down to Whiskey and Mash. And right there on the page, there's a little uh, envelope icon and a Facebook icon. You click on those. They will uh, either open up an email for you so you can get our email address there. Or it will take you right over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash whiskeyandmash. Uh, like the page so you can stay current on what's going on with us there or you know leave us a comment on this episode which we will uh, put the description out there and post once it's available so you know today we normally post on Sunday if you go over there on Sunday at some point we'll have this on Facebook the synopsis that goes into the show notes on podcast sites but then it'll also be there uh, speaking of podcast sites, if you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can head over to iTunes, your favorite podcast application, search for Whiskey and Mash. We're out there. Uh, we should be coming to Stitcher shortly. Right now, uh, the podcast is under review, as happens on all of these sites, and we will be there shortly. Uh, hopefully we get on SoundCloud as well. I just need to actually upload the episodes there. But we will be on there shortly, so that will be available on more platforms. If you don't do any of those things, but you're still enjoying listening to this, and you maybe have an uh, MP3 player or something, or just like an iPhone or a smartphone, you can download the episodes. We have all of our back episodes as MP3s on the website. That's Whiskey and Mash uh, at narclaninc.com. Just go over 
like I said, do the podcast page, do Whiskey Mash. I They're like all how there. Kurt says we do it because he does it all. I just sit back and suck in the rewards. I, could, I couldn't do this without <laughs> you here, so I appreciate that. But it's a team effort. But yeah, you can download those uh, files. You can stream them right from the web page. And if you're enjoying these episodes and you want to help share us to them. share them, that's really the best way you can help support us right now is share these episodes with a friend. Even if it's only to hear what we're like when we've had a couple of <laughs> drinks and we're trying to get through these episodes. Even if nothing else Have a whiskey that. with us while yeah. you watch. You know? And, um, you know, please, we think MASH is a great show or else we wouldn't be doing this. Uh... You know, we started because we wanted to kind of talk about the social, at least I wanted to talk about the social, social aspects, aspects yeah, of these episodes that you might not always get. Just like in uh, Dear Sigmund, right, where you do see this, it, it's kind of glossed over, but this fact that women were getting out of the home and into the workplace and becoming more independent. And, and just, Margaret got to play poker with the guys. Yeah, so I mean, you're seeing these things. And they're subtle, but they're there. And we want to bring these to light because we think that MASH is that kind of a show. Where, Forward thinkers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we hope that you see those too. And if you see anything that we miss, like we've mentioned, let us know. Let us know that you're out there. Let us know that you you're listening. you want something added or taken out, let us know. We, you know, we'll talk about it. Yeah. And um, to a point Gloria always makes, if you've been on MASH. Oh, please. <laughs> you know, we would we would just die of excitement if you would come on the show and talk to us. Just... And I know one of you are going to one of these days. I feel it in my heart. <laughs> I said that tonight. So come on mm. over. Yeah. Skype. Come over personally. You are invited <laughs> to my daughter and son-in-law's house. <laughs> Thank like you that. for extending that invitation. But no, you know, we would love to have, like I say, we, we would just love to have anyone who is involved with MASH on the show to talk about it because we are that caliber of fans. Uh, in the meantime, until next week, well, I'm always Chris Pullman. And I'm always Gloria Ackerman. But until next time, have a great week. Yeah, that really felt like a wonderful episode. Yeah. I thought. Mm -hmm. the first one. Yeah. Not that, that I felt like it because it was a long time, but it just had so much to do. Yeah, and that's...